Hey everyone, welcome to Be The Change. My name is Lily Mott, and today I'm going to be talking about how change comes when you break the silence. My guest this week is Ida Gupta, and she is a student activist. I got to talk with Ida about her work raising awareness about book bans in her local schools, and I'm excited to share her story and the work she's doing with you today. So, without further ado, let's get started with this episode featuring Ida Gupta. Starting with with the basics, my name is Eva. I am currently a freshman at the University of Pittsburgh um, and I'm majoring in neuroscience. Um, And the way that I really got involved with social activism was in the senior year of my high school um, career. And during that year in September, um, a book ban came out uh, banning over 300 books from the elementary level to the secondary level of education. And most of these books were banned because they highlighted or were written by diverse characters and authors or members of the LGBTQ community, BIPOC people. So it was it was a direct attack on diversity in um, my school district. And it was just a wide scale ban. And so my organization, um, the Panther Anti-Racist Union, um, which I was the president of in the 2021 to 2022 school year, um, made a decision to protest this ban. Um, so we, we peacefully protested outside our high school for two weeks before school. Um, we held signs. We talked to media. We um, talked to administration. We went to the board meetings every week. We um, kind of just, just made sure our voice was heard and eventually got this ban reversed. But there are just so many nuances to the whole situation. I'm happy to answer any questions. That's the general overview, though. Yeah, that's a perfect segue. And I would love for you to just go deeper into this story. Can you tell me more about your background and then also what kind of got you started as a student activist? Yeah, yeah, for sure. Um, So starting off from the very beginning, I had been attending this district since I was four years old. I went to the preschool here all throughout my elementary education. My secondary education was all in the school district, the Central York School District. And because of this, I had always known that diversity education was lacking. There was minimal curricula surrounding this topic or this issue. I never saw a, a young Indian girl like me in any of the books I read. I never saw BIPOC authors or creators in any of the books I read. It was very much non-diverse. Um, and I think they went to lengths to keep it that way. But because of that, I kind of grew up with this environment of ignorance. You know, none of my peers really understood me or knew my culture in the way that I wanted them to know. They didn't appreciate, you know, the cultural food I'd bring to school, um, saying that it was like weird or smelly or disgusting um, when I would wear my cultural attire to like different to perform um, and perform to Bollywood Indian music at different events. You know, I would be made fun of, you know, and it was all because of this ignorance that my peers had, this um, fear of anything different or out of the norm or out of the ordinary for them was just something that they didn't want to face. And so going through all these years of just like microaggressions and racism, people like mocking accents even, like I can I can give you so many instances of people just being very blatantly racist to me. At this point, when this ban came out, I was just astounded that this board was willing to take 
this a step further rather than making amends or, you know, making progress in the diversity education and incorporating that more into the curricula, especially after George Floyd and, you know, how much the Black Lives Matter movement came into the media, they decided to go in the opposite direction um, that, you know, was expected of them. And you know what even hit harder was that in the year before the ban came out, in my junior year of uh, high school, in March, I had sat down and I talked to this board before I had any knowledge of the ban. Um, and I told them, I, I was like, you know, like, this is just unacceptable. You know, there's like one cultural day per year or per, you know, ha semester of um, schooling where young kids can bring in, you know, different cultural foods and dress in their cultural cultural attire, but there's no wide-scale curricula that really addresses how important diversity is. And um, I suggested like specific initiatives the school could be taking to grow their impact, but um, they just they just obviously didn't listen. During that meeting, they seemed very receptive to what I was saying, but not even six months later, they came out with the ban, banning all these books. Um, and, you know, the real kicker here was that this list was actually created by teachers after George Floyd to teach students more about, you know, diversity, equity, social, social change in the classroom, because naturally, after all this stuff is in the media, children and, you know, kids are going to have questions about um, all of this. And so teachers created this as a resource for other teachers to refer to. And this is the exact list that was banned. So, um, yeah, I was just astounded. Um, and that's kind of what really drove me. When I found out about this ban, it it felt like betrayal to me. It felt very much like I, I was, I felt so blindsided. You know, not even six months prior, I was being told that, you know, thank you for speaking on your story. Thank you for being so vulnerable for saying what you're saying. I was getting emails from the board. And then now they were going the exact opposite direction. So I knew in that moment that, you know, our words were not going to make a dish difference. Our experiences were not going to make a difference as a student body. So we needed to take a step further and actually protest and show them um, how much we believe that this was an urgent topic to be addressed. Um, and, you know, they didn't even tell the student body when the ban came out. They just told the teachers in an email that the books were going to be banned. So the student body didn't even know. Um, so I think that that's what made my anger worse. So I was just fuming sitting in my room, just like not okay with this. So we really quickly mobilized. Um, and I can expand more on that further, but that was in depth more of like what inspired me. That's so interesting. And your own life experiences and your observations in your school district really informed your work and led to raising awareness and protesting the book bans. So tell me more about the Panther Anti-Racist Union and what it looked like to organize students and then, of course, get them involved in your activism as well. Can you tell me more about what it was like to just get started and then, of course, continue to develop the organization? Yeah, so after the ban came out, I reached out to one of the other seniors at the time, Christina, and uh, Mr. Hodge and Ms. Jackson, who are our, who were at, or still are advisors for the club. Um, we all kind of came together and mobilized and started having a dialogue about this. Um, you know, we sent each other the articles. We, you know, informed each other like, "Do you know this is happening? Like, what is going on?" We had like group calls, and so this was kind of a pivotal moment where we asked Mr. Hodge, like, what are you going to do about this? Because as students, we were naturally curious about what the authority figures, you know, were going to do about this and what the teachers were going to do about this, how they were going to take authority. But they kind of flipped the question on us and they asked, you know, what are you guys going to do about this? What are you students going to do about this? How are you going to mobilize? Because at the end of the day, with administration and with schooling, um, 
a lot of kids don't realize the change is in their hands. The power is in their hands. And obviously you need a co coalition of students and teachers fighting these causes, but it's so important that our voices um, are really amplified. And that's what Mr. Hodge and Ms. Jessen allowed us to do. So um, we just went straight to social media. I think that's, you know, the big, one of the biggest ways you can spread your word. So um, first, um, the Monday after we found out about the ban on September 7th, I it might have been before that. I think we started protesting on September 7th, but the Monday after the ban came out, um, we sent out a, a community-wide, Instagram-wide, you know, page saying, we're going to wear all black to school. If you are against this book ban, please wear black to school. It was it was the blackout at school the Monday after. Um, we tried to repost thing it. We tried to get the word out. We put it on our Instagram that we had created the year prior. We just did everything we could to get the word out there. And at the Monday after the decision came out, you know, like students were wearing all black at school. We were, you know, all just like, like, like you could tell, like the halls were filled with students wearing black shirts, black pants. And, you know, us as a part of the organization, I was just so like, I was astounded that day because I was like, wow, like we were really able to like make a difference. I think that was the first pivotal point where me in my activism career, I was like, wow, like we, us students, our voices can mobilize our generation, like our voices can be heard. And I think that's something that so many young people doubt themselves on. And I think that was a really pivotal moment for me. So I was very inspired that day. I was very, um, it was one of the happiest moments um and so from there on we we decided yeah this isn't enough um that whole weekend um we spent like making posters and signs um things like education is not indoctrination my voice matters black history is american history you know all these different posters that we would give students um and they would just you know, stand there with their signs. Another thing about our protest was outside the signs. We asked administration about the blackout. And the reason we were so successful is because we did everything like following the rules. And gladly, we were able to demonstrate and, and really show the administration what we thought. But we also were so careful not to um, make a mistake and um, not be able to continue our activism. So the reason we were able to continue was because we really just made sure to be very intentional about what we did. So yeah, um, that went on for two weeks um, and we were very surprised with the turnout. Um, you know, it's so hard to get high school students to wake up earlier than they're supposed to for school. I, I think we've all experienced that, like no one likes getting up early in the morning, but it was really inspiring to see like students from, you know, from freshmen to seniors, like all just like showing up early for 15 minutes. And like on the first day we had like 50 students and like on the last day of protesting, it went, it went up to like, 70 students and it was crazy um you can see in the as the, the pictures show it all um and we just made sure the whole time to very, stay very focused on our narrative um and stay very focused on our mission and what we wanted to express our signs were made internally through the organization we didn't let any other students make any signs we just kind of gave them to them every day when we started protesting i actually stole one of the signs from protest and i have it in my dorm right now um but yeah it was it was a really powerful pivotal time a lot of media attention because a lot of different book bands were coming out in a lot of different school districts there was a lot of legislation passed about this um a lot in florida and arizona and i actually just went to an event um where another student was talking about the band that he fought at his school in texas so you know it, it was just it was just 
the start of something that was going to be seen for a for months after. Um, so we got a lot of media. First it started with local media where we were interviewed by WGAL and like local Fox. And then it kind of spread to like CNN um, and actual Fox News. And it was just kind of like very like, uh, the CNN interview was very pivotal to our success. Um, we Then we got, you know, things like me and Christina did a TED talk at the University of Pittsburgh. We got interviewed by Kelly Clarkson, New York Times, Washington Post. It was just a crazy, you know, kind of like media like a month or two where we were just bombarded with requests Um, and I'm still we are still facing very many requests Um, but I think that was pivotal in 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 reversing the ban Um, in the end we are very grateful for all the media attention we got and I am very grateful for all the students that I've probably been able to help through my story and and how we kind of tackled this problem and yeah so two weeks of that and we went to board meetings. Um, I can speak more on the hate that we received because there was definitely not a shortage of that. Um, but, you know, in the positive, this community really, really had our back. Um, we had a book distribution in which over 5,000 books were donated from an Amazon wish list that a community member uh, created. And then all those books for the 5,000 books were gone within like 30 minutes at the distribution. So like community members like didn't know about this decision. But when they did find out, when we did amplify the issue itself, people wanted to show up, people wanted to support, people wanted to take the books and use in their classrooms. Teachers from the district showed up to take the books that were banned and use them in their classrooms, which I think is such a powerful sentiment and says so much to what was really happening there. So yeah, I mean, after two weeks, and then we also spoke at those board meetings, which was not easy with, those board meetings would go on, they had to limit the amount of people that would speak because they would go on for hours because there were just lines of people um, either on Zoom. (laughs) They switched it to Zoom eventually because they were afraid of people, you know, actually like protesting outside the building. But, um, you know, there would be just like queues of people that would want to speak. Even one of the authors from what, some of the books on the banned list came Brad Meltzer and he spoke to the board himself. So at one point, like these, these board meetings were like the hottest topic. Um, And, you know, they would obviously always try to deflect the question and not really answer it and try to ignore the topic and move on to other things. Um, But, you know, on September 20th at that board meeting, we had a protest outside the building as they didn't want us to have, but they had their first in-person board meeting then. And we had those protests outside the building and that is the day that the board reversed the book ban. And ever since then, the Panther Anti-Racist Union at Central York High School has been stronger than ever. We have like 70 to 80 members today. Um, We do trainings with the King Center where students can learn more about peaceful protesting, nonviolent protesting, the mission of the King Center. Um, We also, you know, every week we do readings from the book, I believe it's called How to Be Anti-Racist. Um, We show documentaries in class. Um, Now I'm in college um, and I have full intention to create a Panther anti-racist union here too because the pit mascot um, fortunately is a Panther too coincidentally. Um, And um, yeah, so every week is just, they they do more outreach. They've been putting posters up around the school. They've been uh, organizing diversity celebrations. They've been just really, really at it and making sure that something like this never happens again uh, and making sure that their voices continue to be heard. 
It's super exciting to hear about your hopes for a new chapter at Pitt as well. So you mentioned the overwhelming support that you received for your activism, but also the hate that you faced as well through your work. Can you tell me about how you managed to balance receiving so much support while also being faced with criticism and backlash from other sources as well? What was that experience like for you and the other students that were also involved from the organization from its beginning to the end? For sure. Um, so the, before this BM came out and before I decided to move away, I don't think this was anything that I would have thought myself to do. I was always a very much rule follower, stickler to the rules, straight A student. And I just didn't defy um, anything. I like the racism that I faced growing up. I never said anything. I was always afraid of disciplinary action, um, people reprimanding me. Um, and I think that this when this happened, I just, I reached my tipping point. And I think it was a change in my personality where I felt, where I knew that if I didn't say anything now, generations of younger students were going to have to suffer with the same racism and microaggressions that I had to. And I just like, I cannot in 2021, 2022, just, this just is not the norm anymore. This just cannot happen. So I think that, um, for me, a lot of the struggle was also internal. I just had so much self-doubt at the beginning. I was like, is this who I am? Is this what I should be doing? Is, is this the right path for me? I always believed so much in the movement and what we were doing. But for me, I said, this is so outside of my comfort zone. You know, should I let someone else handle this? Should this be my, my responsibility? But at the end of the day, I knew if it wasn't me, who? You know, I, I always ask this question, if it wasn't me, who was going to do it? Because no one was. And, you know, that's why I decided, like, I think that's a big thing that we say in when we talk about um, giving advice to other people going through this, if it's not going to be you, like who's going to be like, think about, you know, who else is going to be able to stand up for something. Um, um, so yeah, a lot of it was internal, but also there was external hate too. Um, when we first started our, um, our movement and, you know, protesting everything, we were very cognizant of the external forces that were working against us and not in our favor on the board at that time. Um, there were a lot of, you know, hateful, negative people. Um, and a lot of what we did was um, also contributed to the board election, um, the new board election, which we got, um, which the some of the members that were in support of this ban were um, knocked out or, you know, not reelected to be in the board anymore. Um, and, I, um, and yeah, so there was a lot of external hate from them. Um, there was a lot of like, people trying to warp our words and what we were, we were going to say and warp our stories. Um, and that's why we, one, one of the things that we really um, talk about is staying set in our narrative and really staying to what our mission was. We didn't have any political affiliations in our mission. We were purely a diversity-based, social equity-based organization working to um, provide equity and education for all to make sure everybody's story was heard to make sure no voice was left behind that was our mission that remains our mission to this day and what we really stand for um and that's what that's what informed us what we wrote on the signs that's what informed what we said in our interviews and we just made sure we were so set in our mission that no one could take any soundbite that we said or anything that we said and just warp it because they would take any opportunity to do so there were facebook gr groups against us created that we were blocked to see you know there was you know there was people that even when me and christina went to give our ted talk there were people reaching out to the upenn student organization saying this is fake um we don't want them to speak on this 
there was never a ban. There's comments on our TikTok on YouTube that, that, that say that this is fake. Um, this this was never a ban. There were comments on all our posts with trolls being like, you know, this was fake. What are you guys talking about? This is not right. And yeah, you know, there was even initial failure with our activism, you know, after like a week into doing our protests and really uh, speaking out, there was a secondary email that the board sent. And this email said, oh, we see what you're doing, but we're going to keep the books out of the library. We're going to keep these books out of the classroom. They remain banned. Teachers are still cannot use them. And I think for me, that was the biggest setback and the biggest failure. I perceived it as a failure at the time. I don't perceive it as a failure anymore. But I remember just sitting in the library and looking at the email and email and being like on the verge of tears and then going to Miss Jackson's room after the end of school and just bawling, just crying. Because um, it was so discouraging to see the, the weeks and the nights and the efforts of work that you put into mobilizing and doing activism and really inspiring the community and thinking you're, you're making a change, but then that being set back by saying, yeah, nothing's gonna happen. Um, and so, yeah, that was one of the biggest things we faced. And I think in that moment, I I wanted to stop. I thought that there was no going up from here. I thought that this was the end all be all. And I'm very grateful that I had a support system of students and teachers to help me uh, kind of come out of that. Um, because, you know, I I think I now I perceive it as failure and activism as you're doing something right. I think I was very new to the whole activism scene, but the more people I talk to and the more I listen to people's stories, the more I realize that failure is very much something part of the process that comes with activism. And it's very much something you should expect. Um, and now I definitely will expect that. Um, but it was just that moment where I was like, wow, where do we go from here? But that failure meant that they were hearing us, that they saw us, and that if we kept pushing, change was going to happen. Sometimes it was so hard for me to even see a, like what a day would look like in front of myself, what two days would look like, because it was so hard for me to envision what the future would look like in activism, because you just never know. Um, but I think what was so important and pivotal and also the hardest thing for me to understand is how to stay perseverant um, in those times of struggle, in those times of doubt and um, disheartenment. So the setback was also a lot of times mental, you know, activism burnout is so real. And when you're doing something for two weeks on end every day and you're speaking out about these issues every day and you're so passionate about it. Um, these time commitments just take a toll on you so physically. I remember the day of the CNN interview, I got home at like 12. And, you know, we were like full-time students and also part-time activists. We were also involved in other extracurricular activities. And it was just a lot to take at once. Um, so during this process, I also learned to take the time for myself that I needed. Um, sometimes we would text the group chat and be like, hey, like this day I need for myself you guys, can you guys handle the media? Can you guys handle the requests? I'm just going to like go do something. And for the weekend, we just like, just disconnect. And we, cause it was so important because you can't keep doing the work you're doing without being mentally there and mentally sound. And I'm so happy I had that support system to hold me up. Um, but yeah, um, people were bitter. Uh, another, another example I have were, was after the new board election where some of the bo other board members were outvoted. Um, more Facebook groups were created and even, um, you know, Mr. Hodge and Ms. Jackson would be followed sometimes by people. Um, they would know where they lived. Um, they would receive threats that they initially didn't tell us about because they didn't want to scare us as students, but they would receive threats. Um, and it, that was a scary time, especially for a black, a black woman teacher like Ms. Jackson to be targeted like that. Um, 
you know, it's hard enough. There's a lack of black educators in this country as is. And, you know, she, her being the first one that's attacked is, is very scary um, by this predominantly, I mean, all white school board before, before, and in this predominantly white community, it's, it's a scary time. It was, um, it was not easy. Um, but, you know, I think what really saved us was always sticking to our narrative, making sure our message was very clear, promoting nonviolence, promote, promoting, you know, equity and social equality um, for all. So I hope that answers your question. Yeah. Yeah. And I really appreciate you sharing so much about the behind the scenes and the reality of the work, too. I have one more question for you. Lots of young people, especially high school students and college students, want to create change, but they may not know how to get started with that work. Do you have any advice for those people who may be listening? Yeah, for sure. Um, for all those college, uh, for high school, st- college um, students that are going through the same thing, um, trust me, I've been there. I've been in that space where I'm very scared and I'm hesitant and I'm uncomfortable and I don't know if I'm going to be successful. But know that all you have to do is break the silence. All you have to do is speak up because once someone hears what you have to say and once someone sees you out there from preaching your message and really amplifying your own voice, they're going to want to follow. We were so scared that people were going to show, weren't going to show up to our protest. We were even expecting people to not show up to our protest because we were like, who's going to support us? But what we did was amplify our voice and we got so much support because I think a lot of times young people don't realize the power that their voice holds, the power that our stories hold. Just because this board didn't listen to my story, that doesn't mean the community wouldn't. Because the community listened to my story with open ears and wanted to help our cause in whatever way possible. Um, so I think again, that's the biggest thing, just being courageous enough. And I know that's not any easy tax. And it's easier said than done to be brave enough to speak up and to say something about what you see, but it's also the most important step into beginning your journey with activism and to seeing change in community. Just speak up and just say something about something that you see. I am so grateful to Ida for sharing so much about her activism and especially all of the work that goes on behind the scenes to create real change. Ida and the Panther Anti-Racist Union faced lots of challenges and backlash, but ultimately raised awareness about an issue they saw in their schools and created change. Ida's work speaks to the importance of stepping up and using your voice because, as Ida mentioned at the end of our conversation, change comes when you break the silence. Thank you so much for listening to this episode, and you can find Ida on Instagram at Ida Gupta to get connected with her. If you want to talk about anything I mentioned, please reach out to me by email at lily at bethechangepodcast.org or on Instagram at bethechangepodcast. Tune in for my next episode, but until then, be the change you wish to see in the world. Bye, guys.